Christians. And so we took 14 weeks on that. Then, you know, these last couple months, we looked at a series on some things that will help every church. And we looked at a number of things. What's the purpose of the church? How a church is established? What hinders a church? The evangelism of a church. We're going to start a brand new series tonight. And I've been praying about this and God's given the green light. And I'd like us to begin tonight with Hebrews 5 and verse 12. We're just going to try to set the foundation of it all tonight. Hebrews chapter 5. Look there, if you would, in verse number 12. Follow as I read. The Bible says, well, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for each one that's here. Lord, we have a number of people that aren't, and many of them aren't here because they're not well, they're sick, and I pray that you'd minister to them, encourage them, help them. I know that we have others that are traveling, give them safety. Lord, as we begin this new series of messages tonight, I pray that these things would help us and Guide my mind the next step and the next step. Lord, as we just lay some groundwork for this truth, I pray that we'd understand what the scriptures have to say. Help us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Look there again at Hebrews 5 and verse 12. And we're really building on a word that's found twice in all the Bible. Again, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers... You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. We're going to preach a series on living by principles. So if you're taking any notes, that'd be a good thing to write down. Living by principles. Now, there are two words that sound exactly the same. Some of you, when you were in school, you spent a lot of time by a principle. And maybe you acted up in class. We won't ask for hands, but you were sent down to the principal's office, and uh, my I don't think in my entire life I ever was sent down to the principal's office. I think that's a good testimony to have. Maybe some of you can't say that. Maybe you were just a regular customer. That's a different principal. That's spelled P-R-N-C-I-P-A-L. My wife's dad, he's got a lot of stories about when he was in school and how often he went down to the principal's office and he was really kind of a cheeky sort of a guy, and he'd sit down in the principal's office, and he kind of leaned forward and said, that, now how can I help you? He'd say that to the principal. You don't want to be sent to a principal's office. That's P-A-L. We're talking about completely different spelling. And that word principal, it just uh, basically means rules that we live by. That word principle, it really means uh, a fixed policy, or if you would, a foundation under what we do. Now again, in the summertime, we looked at some basic doctrines of our faith. This is going even below that or lower than that. And we're talking about some principles that life operates by. We here in this Western civilization We operate by what we call principles. There are certain rights and wrongs. There are certain things that we do 
these principles ought to be true whether you're saved or lost. These principles ought to be true whether you're educated, uneducated, young or old, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your income. And I'm saying to you that it's principles that are important for us to live by. Uh, let me give you just a few, just to give you an understanding. You know one of the principles we live by is that every life matters. Now, if you paid attention the last two years, you've not heard it that way. You've heard it advertised black life. The truth is every life matters. Whether you're black or white, you're brown or yellow, no matter what you are, every life and that's a principle that now that principle will determine what we do and what we don't do. There is this notion that now when people get to the older years of their life, they're expendable. And that's just really come to a head in these last couple of years. They're not expendable if you live by this principle that every life matters. And so it wouldn't matter what reason come to you and say that, listen, their life we could really do without, after all, it would save so much, after all. No, no, you don't understand. Every life matters. If that's a principle that's deep in your heart, that'll help you in a lot of decisions that this world's trying to convince you of. Incidentally, if every life matters, that really solves the question about abortion. Because that's a life that's in that womb. And there are those that would say, there are women that would say, it's my, not, it's my life to choose. No, that inside is not your life. That's a life that God gave. And so abortion isn't even a choice. Now, people out there that don't live by that principle, every life matters, they're trying to justify why it's okay to take that, uh, that conceived baby the first six weeks or the first three months or up to the last, no, 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 that we don't even wade into that as Christians because we have this principle settled down. And so again, this idea of every life matters. Now again, people say, well, preacher, and I've had people ask me, what do you think about Black Lives Matter? My answer is every life matters. Every life. It doesn't matter the color of that skin. Uh, here's another principle live by, uh, it's wrong to steal. That's, that's just a principle that we live by. It's wrong to steal, and uh, you know, uh, unless you have uh, rights to something, if you take that something, it's wrong. It's just simply wrong. That would be true if you steal someone else's money. That would be true if you steal someone else's wife. That would be true if you steal someone else's good name. So again, it is wrong to steal. And so that guides us when it comes to questions about robbery, that guides us when it comes to questions about embezzlement. That's a principle that we live by. Right, here's another example of principle, and that principle is faithfulness and marriage. And we, for, for centuries, have believed this principle that uh, the plan is one man marries one woman for life, and that's a principle. And that principle sure heads off an awful lot of things. It heads off someone being unfaithful, and that's why someone begins a marriage making this vow. And that's that vow is for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish till death us do part. 
And I'm saying that's a principle, that uh, faithfulness in marriage. And if you embrace that principle, uh, and if that's a key to marriage, your marriage will not only last a long time, it'll last 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, but it'll be a happy one. So we're, we're, we're stepping aside from the Bible doctrines of heaven and the Bible doctrines of hell and the doctrine of Trinity. We covered those kind of things during our summer months. But for the next little while, we're going to look at living by principles. And really, folks, we're living in a generation that you could say is unprincipled. They don't have any principles that guide them. The only thing that steers them is can I make a profit off of it? Can I become happy with it? And they'd sell their soul if they could make an extra dollar. I hope that's not true for you. So again, we're looking at the subject of living by principles. And you say, preacher, how did we acquire these principles? Now, folks, there are some countries, there are some Eastern countries that don't live by world countries that life is expendable and they don't think twice about taking an unborn life they don't think twice well entirely poor society so it's okay for us to wipe them out I'm saying to you we enjoy these principles but you say pastor how did we acquire all of these principles well look again at Hebrews 5 12 for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principle. So we were taught these things. You know, from the time that uh, if you were born in the hospital, from the time you came home from the hospital, your parents teach you these principles. And maybe if you were part of a church in Sunday school or church service, you were taught these principles. When you went to a school, even a public school, you were taught these principles. So the question, how did we acquire all these principles? Well, we were taught these things. But notice here again in verse number 12, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers. In other words, he's saying, by as long as you have known these things, you to the place where now you're teaching someone else. But instead of teaching, and that's maturity, folks. Uh, it, it's, we understand why little children don't understand these principles. And that. That's why we're putting our energies into teaching them. But come to the place where not only do they have a good handle on life's principles, but they're teaching somebody else. And so if you have just recently been saved, God's got a lot of grace. But if you've been saved for a while, you should be teaching some of these things. And yet we read there again, Hebrews 5.12, the writer here says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again. And so without a doubt, present generation, there has been a strong effort to overthrow the principles that we live by. And you've probably heard of this term, the woke culture. I mean, you've heard that term just recently. This woke culture is an effort to overthrow all of the principles of life. Even by the very title, it's suggesting woke. It's suggesting that generations until now have been asleep 
But now this generation is finally waking us up to what ought to be considered true. Folks, that's exactly the opposite. There have been principles that have guided us that even without being a saved person, without even being a Christian, these principles have guided us through life. And what's happening is people are trying to throw off all of these principles. When you hear someone say, I don't believe that, well, guess what? You're part of a new generation. Because generations have believed that up until now. And so again, we're chasing down this idea of living by principles. And really, I just want to get three thoughts (laughs) drilled in our hearts this morning. Let's begin there again with Hebrews 5.12. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of government. First question, if you're writing questions or points down, what is the basis for our principles? What is the basis for our principles? Get these. Pastor, where is it that we have found all these? said right in the middle of verse number 12. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. That's where we get our principles from. They say, Pastor, what are the oracles of God? Keep your hand there in Hebrews. We'll be right back to it. But back up there to 1 Kings chapter number 6. Pastor, what are the oracles of God? That's kind of a new title. It's not something that we would normally use. Where did that come from? Do you know when you get to 1 Kings chapter number 6, we find recorded King Solomon is building the temple. And King Solomon, who has, of course, followed his father David, King Solomon begins to build this great house of God. 1 Kings chapter 6, look there in verse number 1. 1 Kings 6 and verse 1, And it came to pass in the 480th year, after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month Ziph, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. That's the context. And the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, the length thereof was three score cubits, the breadth thereof twenty cubits, and the height thereof thirty cubits. Uh, the the land size it was twice the size of what the temp or tabernacle was. But again, chapter six is talking about him building this temple. Look there in verse fourteen, verse number four. And Solomon, so Solomon built the house and finished it, and so that summed up him building it. Then look there at verse number 16. And he built 20 cubits on the sides of the house, both the floor and the walls, with boards of cedar. He even built them for it within, even for the oracle, even for the most holy place. Stop right there for a minute. When Moses had the tabernacle built, it had a It had a linen courtyard fence. Inside there was the brazen altar, and that's where the animal sacrifices. Then was the laver where they washed. And then in that tabernacle, two rooms. The first room was the holy place. The second room was the holy of holies. That was the tabernacle. This is now later the temple. 
And when Solomon is building this temple, we read this again in verse number 16. And he built 20 cubits on the sides of the house, both the floor and the walls, with boards of cedar, even built them for it within, even for the oracle, even for the most holy place. In the Old Testament, that oracle was another title for that inner room that was in the temple. Look there in verse number 17. And the house that is the temple before, it was 40 cubits long. And look there, if you would, in verse number 19. And the oracle he prepared in the house within to set there the ark of the covenant of the Lord. I'm going a lot of length for a reason. The term oracle in the Old Testament was that inner room inside that temple. And that's where that ark of the covenant was carried. The ark had been built back there in Moses' day. Remember in Moses' day, in that ark were three things. It was the commandments, and also in that ark was the bowl of manna, and also in that ark was Aaron's budded rod. Those things were no longer in the ark that was in the ark when Solomon built. It was the commandments. So this term oracle in the Old Testament is that inner room where the ark of the covenant was where God's man, would go into that room to get some direction from God. That's First Corinthians, or sorry, First Kings, chapter six. Do you know as you continue through the scripture, look at the next chapter, First Kings, chapter make it chapter eight. I'm sorry, chapter eight, verse six. First Kings, chapter eight, verse six. And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubim. So again, in the Old Testament, that term oracle was a reference to the room where they would go in and get some answers from God. Things kind of shift when you get in the New Testament. Look there in Acts 7. You can let go of Kings. Acts chapter number 7. Acts chapter number 7 Begin there in Acts 7 and verse 37. Acts 7 and verse 37 says, This is that. So Stephen here is preaching in Acts 7. He brings up this man, Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, Prophets. fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. So remember in the Old Testament, oracle was really a reference to the room. But now we have these things being clarified and actually the oracle is a reference to that ark of the covenant with those tablets of stone in that room. Keep going there, look in Romans 3. Romans chapter 3. The conclusion is going to be kind of obvious, but I'm trying to give you the scriptures to come to that. Romans chapter number 3. Romans 3, look in verse number 1. Paul's making the argument, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them, that's unto the Jews, 
were committed the oracles of God. Do you know in the Old Testament that oracle was a reference to the room? But as you get into the New Testament, it's a reference to the scriptures, to the word of God, to the commandments, to the laws, to the judgments. Look there in 1 Peter chapter number 4, and then we'll come back to Hebrews 5. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Again, tonight we're just trying to establish three truths. The first is what is the basis for our principles? Looking at principles. Pastor, where do we get these principles from? Well, we know that we're taught them from the very youngest of age, but 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. 1 Peter 4 and verse 11. If any man speak, speak as the oracles of God. Back there to Hebrews 5. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. When for the time the teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the Question tonight is what is the basis of for our principles. The basic said that principles are things that people, whether they're Christian or not Christian, that's true. But you know, the principles of our Western culture came from this book. It came from the Word of God. But you know, our whole judicial system is built on the laws that God gave Moses. Simply the first question, what is the basis for our principles? And the basis is the Word of God. Why we every day read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. So God can reinforce in us some principles to guide our life. I give you the second question in Isaiah chapter number 28. Isaiah chapter 28. Now I know that all of this is just groundwork so that we can get going a little quicker next week. We're looking again at living by principles. A lot of folks today live by circumstances. A lot of folks today live by culture. They let the culture dictate what they do. A lot of folks let feelings. They live by feelings. Folks, Christians don't live by feelings. We don't live by culture. We don't live by circumstances. We live by principles. And our principles come from the Word of God. Second thing is, look there in verse number 9. Isaiah 28, verse number 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? Talking about God. And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, verse 10. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Well, you just said that. Line upon line. Line upon line. You just said that. Here a little, there a little. I don't know how many times I've read that verse and scratched my head and said, wouldn't once have been sufficient. And yet he mentioned precept upon precept, precept upon precept, twice, line upon line, line upon line, twice. Now, I don't think it was a lack of something to write down. Could I suggest to you that the instructions that God gives us, these precepts and these lines, 
are found in two different levels, if I could. If you're taking notes, my second point, what is the bi-level foundation under our principles? So you say, Pastor, you say that we get our principles from the Word of God. But as we go into the Word of God, we find two different levels of principles, two different levels of precepts, if you would. You're writing it down. Let me give you the two levels. The first level is general guidelines. General guidelines. And the second level of precepts is clear commands. So sometimes in the scriptures, what we read is a general guideline. And sometimes what we read in the scriptures is a very clear command. Clear commands, there's no, there's no give and take to it. It's clear. On the other hand, some general guidelines, there's a lot of wiggle room. I'll give you some examples so that you understand where we're going. Look there, if you would, in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. There's some folks that don't want clear commands. Just give me something a little more general so I have some wiggle room. They're far happier with general guidelines. But look there in Romans chapter 13. And we find it all, Romans 13, and to get the context, look at there in verse 8. Romans chapter 13 and verse number 8. It says, uh, Owe no man anything but uh, to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So we're tracing ourselves back to the law, God's commands. But then I want you to look there at verse 9. Or is that just a general guideline? Now, you might have to check other scriptures to get the Bible definition of adultery. Well, that's pretty clear. It says there in verse number 9, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's clear. The second one here is thou shalt not kill. Is it clear command or general guideline? That's pretty clear. There's no wiggle room in that. Adultery is wrong. And you know, as a church, we just regularly get challenged with that. I have people that walk in my office, Pastor, is it okay if? And I'll stop right there. I'll say, hold on a minute. You're still married. You are still married to somebody else. You have no business being with another woman, being with another man. Folks, we've had people leave this church over what you and I can see is a very clear command. And I'm telling you, over the years, we've had to deal with people that have climbed in the sack with someone that they're not married to, and they thought that the church would somehow rubber stamp it and say it's okay. Folks, you start with something like that, and there is no end to that. I'm saying to you, thou shalt not commit adultery, that's pretty clear. Thou shalt not kill is pretty clear. Thou shalt not steal. Folks, that's pretty clear. There's no wiggle room there. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That's lying. That's pretty clear. Now, thou shalt not covet. I'll that one down. But, but it starts with some very clear commands. Keep reading, though. 
says, and if there be any other commandment is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, that's a general guideline. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's a, that's a little tougher to box that in. But it's not tough to box those in. You know what I'm trying to say tonight? Not only... What is the basis for our principles? It's the Word of God. That's where we get them from. But even when we get into the Word of God, some of our principles are based on, are based rather, on some very general guidelines. Others of our principles are based on some very clear commands. How many understand the difference between those two? Again, there are some Christians, they don't want clear commands. Keep it general. That'll give me license to kind of do what I want to do. Uh, quickly, let me show you some of these before we get to the third point. There's only three tonight. Uh, look there in Psalm chapter 101. Psalm 101, get that with one hand. And if you would, get with a second hand, Proverbs 23. So Psalm 101, if you'd get that with one hand, and Proverbs 23. Psalm 101, Proverbs 23. So let's start there with Psalm 101. And I want you to think with me and think out loud. We're going to look at some verses. You tell me, is it just a general guideline? Or is it a very clear command? Because there are two different kinds that were given in Scripture. Psalm 101, look there in verse number 3. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Command, clearly, or just general? That's pretty general. Because somebody's going to say, well, I don't think that's wicked, so it's okay. And someone else is going to say, of course it is. So that's a general one. Look over there in Proverbs chapter number 23. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 31. So 101 verse 3 says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. But there in Proverbs chapter 23 verse 31 Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. Both verses have to do with what you're looking on. Proverbs 23. It's pretty clear. A second example, uh, if you would get Proverbs 22, you can let go of Psalms. Proverbs chapter 22. If you get that with one hand and uh, with the other hand, James chapter 4. Now, I, I think if, if, if you'll allow me, if you get this truth tonight, it'll help you. So James chapter 4, if we'll start there with one hand, James chapter 4 and Proverbs chapter 22. So first of all, James chapter 4, look there, if you would, in verse 4. The adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, clear command or general guideline? That's kind of general. I think you'll understand it. There in Proverbs chapter. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 24. Make no friendship, well there's our word again, with an angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go. Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. 
general or clear? Folks, that one's clear. And as we establish principles in our life, some of those principles will be established on a clear-cut verse. And you'd have to change the scriptures, and quite honestly, that's why many of the new versions change some of the scriptures. It's too clear. They don't like it like that. Some verses uh, are very clear. Some verses are general. Uh, try this one uh, with your New Testament and Look there in 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2. Now, I'm just giving examples, and we could spend all night on any of these, but we're just giving examples. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 9. With your other hand, once you get uh, Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47. So 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And Isaiah chapter 47. We'll start there in 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Look there in verse 9. 1 Timothy 2 verse 9, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety. Question, general or clear? Folks, that's general. I have talked to many who said, I don't see anything wrong with me wearing this because it's modest. That's a general guideline. Well, look at Isaiah 47. Isaiah chapter 47. In Isaiah chapter 47, God is speaking to a nation, but he's describing this nation as a woman. Look there in Isaiah chapter 47 and verse 1, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon, Sit in the ground, there is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. So here's a woman, at one time a virgin. He's saying that she's doing something and she'll be no longer tender and delicate. Verse 2, take the millstones and grind meal and cover thy locks. Make bare the leg and cover the thigh, pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. Look there now in verse number 5. Sit thou silent, and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. General or clear? Both that one's clear. When a woman bears her leg and uncovers her thighs, it's nakedness. So the first thing that we've established tonight is the basis for our principles. And the basis is the scriptures. It's the word of God, the oracles. The second thing that we've established is even when you go to the Bible, you're going to find two different kind of instructions. Some of them will be very general guidelines. Some of them will be very clear commands. Now, if you find a general guideline it's very likely that if you continue to search the scriptures, you're going to find something that's clear. Don't be satisfied. Keep searching. I get tonight, back there to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter number 5. 
Hebrews chapter 5. And so in all three of those examples, I'm sure there would be people that could quote you the general guideline. And as you know your scriptures and take them to a clear command, they'll say, yeah, but I'm following the yes, but there's a whole lot more in the Bible than that one reference that you happen to like. And that's why the third truth that we need to see tonight is what is the best fuel for our principles. We have principles, some are, some are built upon general guidelines, some are built upon very clear commands. Look there again, Hebrews 5 and verse 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as, as need of milk and not of strong meat, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, Pastor, what do we get out of that? The very third, uh, third thing tonight is, is you can approach these principles with two different attitudes. You can either accept that this is what God has said and you can embrace them. You can take ownership of them and they become convictions. So if you'd write that, if you take notes, either God's principles become convictions in your life or, okay, I understand what God says, and I have found a clear command on that. But all they are are standards. You know, convictions are things that you take ownership of. Standards normally are things that somebody else puts upon you. And if our approach to what God says in the scriptures, if our approach is, okay, if I have to, then all that it is is a standard in your life. On the other hand, if you say, Lord, that's what you say. I'll do it. Folks, that's a conviction. And there's a lot of people, and, and you know it's true, it's, it's probably best seen in a Christian school setting. Most Christians have some kind of standards some have a uniform that's required. Some have certain kind of uh, whatever. They have standards, and, and they have standards. And the reason they have standards is that some people will only come to the standard that's required. They won't go any further than the standard. And if that's what's required, they'll do it. But they'll not do it because they want to. They'll do it because they have to. Folks, you know that every home has standards? Your home has standards. Pastor, not me. No, your home has standards. My home has standards. Every church has standards. Now, if you've been in this church for any period of time, you know that we have standards. You know that we on the platform have certain standards to preach. We have certain standards if you're part of special music. You know that those that teach Sunday school, there are certain standards in order to be able to teach those classes. 
You say, well, I don't want, well, no one can make you do it, but those are the standards that are expected if you are filling a certain position. Now, your attitude is, I don't like it. Okay, then we bypass you because that's the standard. Every city has standards. When you drove here tonight, there was a standard, and it had a 100 on it. That standard is a speed limit sign. And you can say, well, I don't like it. And so you'll look over your shoulder, and if there's nobody with a red cherry on top, then you'll just go a little bit faster. Because to you, a standard, you've not embraced that thing, and so you'll only do it as long as somebody watches you do it. But you know, there are other people, when it comes to standards, they say, okay, they embrace it. And you know, we are living in what I think is the last generation before the Lord returns. Revelation 3 would call it the Laodicean period. And what we have is not only people in the world demanding that they get to do what they want to do. There are people even in church. I don't know why we need to do that. And folks, we always deal with that. I was talking to Pastor Sullivan, of course, Winkler, recently. But about this, and I asked him, I said, Brother Sullivan, you have your ladies in your choir wear choir robes. I said, it's kind of highbrow, high church, and I was kind of poking at him. And he said, Brother Carlson, we have nearly a hundred people in our choir. Half of those are women. And you have no idea how many times I've said the hem has to go over the knee when you sit down. And he said, it doesn't matter how many times I ask them, there's always an element of people that press the limit. And so he said, there's only one way to deal with that. He said, the ladies in our choir, they wear a choir robe. And he said, some of them say, okay, I'm fine. And some of them, there's not a week that passes they don't have something to say. Now here's what I'm saying. We're talking about living by principles. We're going beyond the doctrines of the scriptures. First thing, where do we get our principles from? We get them from the word of God. Second thing, when we go into the word of God, there are some principles that are established on some very clear commands. But there are some other principles that are established on some very general guidelines. The third thing is your attitude toward what God has put is either okay if I have to. Then it's a standard. Then you are only operating by standards. You know what God's looking for you? God's looking for you to embrace what he said. You say, preacher, why? Well, in that verse, and we're, I'm trying to tell you, in Hebrews 5.12, he said this. He said, when for the time ye ought to be teachers... In other words, you have been a believer long enough that you ought to now be helping somebody else grow in their faith. But he said, you have need that one teach you again of the first principles of the earth. You have to go back again. You know why you ought to embrace God's word and let God's word set your principles? Because that's how you grow. And that's how you become effective in the lives of other people. And he said, you have to go back. And he said, you have to go back to milk. Well, folks, you understand that's where a child's at. 
But as they grow, they begin to enjoy meat. And I'm saying there's three things. If we're going to live by principles, first, they're going to come from the scriptures. Two, we're going to recognize some have some very clear commands. But some of them have some general guidelines. I challenge you to check the rest of scripture. Because where you have stopped at a general command, there might just be somewhere else some very clear commands. And I say, third, what's your attitude? Are you going to embrace it? God, if this is what you want, this is what I want. That's a conviction. And you know, if it's a conviction, you'll do it if no one else does it. If it's a conviction, you'll do it if no one else is watching. No one else is watching. If it's just a standard, it's just until no one's watching that you'll be down a different road. 